Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 66. Today we're talking about our summer plans as we prepare for the unknown next school year. We'll also share some highs and lows from our teaching week, a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations for our favorite things in or out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now it's time to talk about some highs and lows from our last week of teaching. We had our last week of online learning this week. We are done Mm -hmm. for the summer. So Tanya, do you have a high or low note to share? Well, you know, I I know it's great to keep things positive all the time and pump people up with the positivity, but I'm going to go low because um, I just am lacking a feeling of closure. Of course, I'm sure everyone's lacking the feeling of closure, but specifically, I uh, have been teaching this year at two schools, my home school that I've been at for many, many, many years. That's where I met my husband. Both of our children have now completed their elementary school years at our home school. Um, But this year is the first year in a very long time that I was also traveling to another school. And this school is in a canyon. It's kind of tucked away in the mountains. And I was tasked with teaching first grade through eighth grade. So I had middle schoolers in there and I was the only music teacher there this year. Uh, They have such a small population that, you know, you can come, they have an art, music, and PE person to come in just for one week out of three. So every third week where one of us is teaching Monday through Friday, just at that little mountain school. So it was in a temp um, and I worked hard to, to make sure we had some things that I wanted the kids to experience musically. Like, you know, I got some extra instruments and some other manipulatives. I also brought several things from my homeschool to the mountain school as one does when you travel and they're all back at my homeschool if my former principal is listening. So there you go. <laughs> um, but I mean, cause you know, why would I keep them at the school that I won't be at next year? So that's to say, I'm not going to be at this school next year. And I was at that school, um, last time I was at at that school was the very first week in March. And I wasn't even there for a complete week because then we went to the Oak Conference in Portland. And right as we were coming home from Portland is when all the COVID stuff started shutting everything down. Yep. Yep. So um, I didn't know, and I, I mean, I guess lots of people can say this, but I didn't know that my last time with all of these students was my last time with all of these students. And we had plans. Uh, we were going to start a ukulele unit with the middle schoolers that I was really excited about. I have all, I've got 21 ukuleles stashed away in my house because I want to make sure they keep tuned all summer. Um, I just, I had plans, of course, and that didn't happen. And I just feel like I really didn't teach a full year at that school. Um, And then, you know, online is just totally different because this was not an online teaching situation as we're reminded from our district. This is an emergency online teaching situation, right? So I just, I felt like those kids got shortchanged and I feel like I shortchanged them. And I know, I mean, what what could I have possibly done? I didn't have a whole lot of engagement and I know that a lot of those kids living in that Canyon don't have good internet even at home. I mean, I was hearing stories about uh, classroom teachers who were going into the building just to do like Google meetings uh, with their class because the internet, these are teachers that live near the school and their internet at home is just not stable. Anyway, so I'm kind of feeling low about that, that I did not get any closure with those kids and they did not get any closure and I won't be there next year just because this is a school that uh, every year they get a brand new art, music, and PE teacher because they're just a little piece of a position that has to be fit with another piece from the district to make it full-time. So anyway, I'm, I'm just a little bummed out about that, even though I tried to do things online to try to close things uh, out with the kids, but you know, several of them, I just haven't heard anything from, and I understand why, but 
So that's kind of hard to deal with. And yesterday, my husband and I went to that school and cleaned up the brooms and made sure everything was better than when we got there and all of that. So, I mean, I, I guess I kind of got closure with the physical school itself, but just not with the students. Yeah. Yeah, that's really hard. I've thought about that. You know, teachers who are retiring this year, or leaving a school they've been at for a long time. But even if you've been there a year, I mean, you make connections to those kids. That's what we do. So to end it that way is, that's hard. Sorry, Tanya. Yeah, well, life goes on. Right, right. And how, yeah, and to, to have those feelings, it's good. Yeah, yeah. So how about you? Tell us your high or low. Um, I'm going to go high. I mean, yeah, this is the last week. So there were lots of really sad and emotional things going on and with my own children as well. Like you said, your daughter and my son, they both finished their fifth grade year. So they're leaving elementary school too. So on a personal note, it's been a difficult week, but, um, as far as school goes, I'll go high in that. And I mentioned this on our last podcast, podcast where we talked with Aileen and Katie, Um, about, you know, closure, ways to provide closure and things. So one thing that I did is with my sixth graders at my school, we do still have sixth grade who are continuing on to middle school. You know, typically we would have done a big continuation ceremony and it is tradition at my school that the sixth graders do a musical performance. And most years I dread it. (laughs) So this year, you know, I was like, well, we obviously not doing that. So um, I knew that there was no way I was going to get the kids to sing on like a flip grid or anything. This is a very hesitant group anyways. So I thought, well, let's do something different. So I asked them a question on flip grid and it was, how are you going to positively affect the world? And I gave them 30 seconds. That's it to, to respond. And I got a good chunk of them responding. I think about half of the students participated and submitted a response and then using iMovie I clipped all their responses together with nice transitions between and had some background music and I let them help me choose I put out like a YouTube playlist of like traditional you know goodbye graduation kid-friendly songs and then they got to vote surprisingly the one they voted for most was a song from high school musical I was shocked I kind of put it on (laughs) I'm just gonna put it on there and see that was the one that got the most votes. So well, like, yay. So um, anyways, I had a couple songs playing in the background and it kind of just became like a little music video and then put it on an unlisted link on YouTube and sent it out to the kids and the parents that way and got really great response from the staff and a, a couple from parents. Didn't hear much from the students, although I did ask the classroom teachers. We had a little wave goodbye to the sixth graders from the parking lot yesterday at our school. And um, I asked the classroom teachers, did anybody hear anything about the video? And they said the kids really did like it. They just, that, they just didn't reach out to me personally, which is fine. I understand. It's a lot going on right now. So anyways, I was proud. I thought it turned out well. It was kind of my first real delve into iMovie in a long time. I'd dabbled with it before, but it was actually kind of fun. It was a fun little project. And it, that to me felt like it was providing that little bit of closure. And that really did help for sure. That's good. Yes. And now it's time for our main theme, summer plans to prepare for the unknown. This is where you break into your Into the Unknown song. Insert Frozen song here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, we're all thinking about this and we're all contemplating the what ifs of music education. Um, You know, from the ensemble class to the elementary music classroom. And basically, basically we're, we're thinking about three different scenarios. Right, Carrie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking at the possibility of being back in our classrooms with restrictions in place. Um, we're looking at hybrid models where you might have half or a third or a quarter of your class in your room at a time, and then other kids are learning online, and you have to somehow manage both of those things, and there will be lots of scheduling that goes around that, of course. And then, of course, the very real possibility of being fully online again and not yes. back in the in-person teaching at all. And I'm sure everything, you know, depends on where you live, which state, which country. If you're listening to this from outside of the U.S., I mean, there are some schools in different parts of the world that are already back with students in some fashion. So 
the purpose of this podcast is not to provide answers. <laughs> it's really just kind of framing what Tanya and I will be thinking about over the summer because, you know, we're teachers. We plan. It's what we do. And yes, we need to use summer to, to renew and refresh. But for me, part of that is also planning for the school year because if I, if I completely turn my brain off in the summer and I'm not thinking about anything, um, I go back in August feeling a little stressed. So if I kind of provide myself those opportunities throughout the summer to, at my own pace, think about the next year, um, I find that helpful. Do you agree, Tanya? I totally agree um, because, yes, I have – definitely had summers where, especially I'm thinking of when I've traveled internationally with my family, where I pretty much just don't think at all yeah. um, about the school year. Of course, teaching Kodai levels has always kind of restarted right. that whole process of thinking. And um, so I, I think it is very important to take a set amount of time where you're not thinking about teaching. I mean, I, I was thinking maybe all of June for me, well, almost all of June for me needs to be other things. Like I've got a lot of, lot to focus on with my family and our house, because I'm sure along with several other families, I've discovered some things in the house that need to change if we're all going to be successful, if we're home all the time. So yeah, I think it's important to get that space in your head and, and, and get the rest of your life in order and not feel like you're always thinking about teaching. But yeah, definitely come July, um, it's like there's a little, you know, little um, something in my brain that's tap, tap, tap. It's like that paper clip that we used to have. Oh gosh, I'm aging myself again. You know, that little paper clip for um, the Word documents that would tap, tap, tap at you when they think you spelled something wrong. Yeah, it's like, it looks like you're writing a business letter. Can I help? Right. You? Okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so I feel like come July, like around the first week in July, if I haven't been really planning, then I've got that little like tap, tap, tap. Looks like you haven't thought about what's happening the next school year. Did you want to think about that? Did you want to plan? And honestly, I, even though I am normally kind of a, a planner in the summer and I kind of like that this year I was very tempted even in halfway through May to be like nope I don't care I'm shutting it off I'm I'm sad I'm mad I'm I'm just all of the things and then um I went to Nissa Brown's webinar that she hosted through her her site uh, music education forward as many people I know did um and part of me really didn't want to go because I didn't want to think about next year and I just wasn't in the right headspace. But listening to Nissa and hearing her ideas really helped me ground myself. And it just reminded myself of, well, if we don't start thinking of these things and if we're not proactive as music educators, those decisions will be made for us. And the decisions, I, I, I wrote down a quote and I don't have it in front of me, but it was basically like the decisions that we make for ourselves will be much better than the decisions that will be made for us by administrators who have so much on their plate. So exactly. You talk all the things that I, uh, right out of my mouth. Cause yeah. Um, and you know, go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I couldn't agree with you more because I just keep thinking about well, we've, we're in a very large district, and we um, a, a lot of our elementaries, well, all of our schools, have something called student-based budgeting, which pretty much turns the budgets over to the principals to deal with, right? And the principals are allowed to make lots of decisions on how their school will operate best. But now there's some positives with this, of course, because every school and every school staff can really make sure they've got everything in place for their community, right? Um, and, and there's a lot of shared leadership. There's a lot of shared decision-making that happens at the schools. However, the, the downside of that is that if you have schools that do not have a solid AMP team, art, music, and PE team that have been there for a long time, then we have people who are not as invested in music education who are making these decisions. And right now, um, it would not be an easy thing for a principal to say, you know what, we're not going to have music next year at this elementary school. That can't happen without changes happening, you know, in documents that it's very cumbersome to change. So we're lucky in that sense. However, we need to make sure that at our schools, that 
we have an idea. Cause like if my principal comes to me and says, well, what do you envision this looking like? Well, why should music education be important during this time when we really should be focused on the essential subjects? Then I want to make sure that I have some solid ideas of why and how things can happen. Because if I don't come up with it, then the rest of my staff, bless them. My, my staff's awesome and they do support music education, but they don't know and understand what I know and understand about the essentialness of it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of help guide our thinking, um, and I know a lot of you are in this boat too, um, Nissa provided this excellent framework and she's given permission to share it and to, to spread this, this thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't provide answers. And that's the whole point. It doesn't necessarily provide answers, but it provides a framework for thinking of excellent, how we yeah. can form the answers for our own personal school community. Um, and we're obviously going to focus on the general music side on the framework PDF, which we're, of course, link to in the show notes um she she breaks it down into like general music and then ensembles so we're going to be focusing on the general music because that's our world but if you do have ensembles or if you're a secondary teacher there is a whole half and it's very similar there's very similar thinking but in our world of general music you know we're really thinking a lot about this performance piece right Mm -hmm. we're used to if you, if you teach, especially if you're a Kodai-inspired teacher, so much of what we do is active music making, kids singing, playing instruments, and moving, and, and actively making music. And if we are in back with students in the classroom in any, in any way, we know that a lot of that is going to look different and has to look different. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ta- Tanya and I were talking a little off mic and I was like, no, we have to record now because Tanya, you were talking about mourning this. And I think it's a really important thing that we recognize that as music teachers, that, that the singing games and the movement activities are so crucial. Can you talk about that some more? Uh, yeah, I, I was just, I'm looking at Nissa's document and I just really want to put a, a, a plug in to please, please go to that link, look at her um, flow chart here because it is very, very, it was so very helpful for me sitting in that webinar to just have it broken down visually this way mm-hmm. where she just kind of like, here, okay, here's some ideas, here's some organization because I've, my last couple of weeks have kind of been just like, um, you know, the Edward Monk uh, painting, you know, the screen. It's like, ah, like, how do I, I couldn't organize and sort through in my own head. And I tell you what, just, just during the hour that I was on that webinar, I was starting to feel a lot more calm because to see it in this structure um, is very, very helpful. But uh, yeah, like we were saying, I think it's important for, it was very important for me to see this and start thinking this way now. And this is different from planning. I'm not thinking really about the planning. I'm thinking about just getting the mindset going for myself. Mm-hmm. So like you and I were talking a little bit off mic about how um, I need to have that time to let go of some things that I almost always do in like second grade, for example, like we're not going to learn a grand right and left to um, uh, bingo. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen almost in any, it's not going to happen for several months, if not longer. And I mean, I really have to, I'm not going to like sit down and think about every single song and game, but Hey, you know, that might be a helpful exercise to sit down and list all the things that, I love to teach with the kids that is just probably out of the question and just take a moment to just go, all right, I can't, I got to think about, uh, we're not going to get these second graders that are coming in. If, if we're in a hybrid situation, even, or if if we're in the room, we're not going to be doing old breast wagon. So now I just need to start getting over that and having a moment (laughs) to process no old brass wagon because I need to have that moment now instead of standing in the music room. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, I've already imagined this. It's kind of like our defaults, you know, I mean, just like, you know, if I ever have an extra five minutes in my class, which, you know, generally never happens, but then it's like, okay, let's just go play the singing game. You know, like our right. defaults, especially as Kona inspired teachers are these, singing games and it's it's how we provide community and it's that joyful music making experience and we have to think about other ways to provide those experiences 
Yes, exactly. And, and it's a, it's a process, this getting to this mindset where we can be positive music advocates and educators means that for several of us, that we need to go through this process of letting go of what we won't be able to do and embracing a new paradigm for music mm-hmm. education. Yeah. So I really appreciated um, when, when Nissa in her framework, she, she starts to break things down into, okay, well, if we can't do this, what are some of the things we might think about doing differently or instead? And um, you kind of, again, going back to this idea of, well, performance is either not going to happen or it's going to look totally differently. Um, I still can't wrap my head around totally differently because, again, it depends so much on restrictions and health, you know, things that are put in place as far as masks and distancing and stuff goes. But I do really appreciate she talked about you know, some sort of a model where perhaps if you were in like a hybrid model where you're sometimes with students in class and sometimes at home, that they can do other things in class with you. They can do, you know, creating, composing, um, music literacy activities. They can respond. They can connect. You can do cultural things, world music things. But the performance piece, they go home and do. Now, for me, especially working in a low-income school, you know, not all my kids can get a recorder unless I buy it for them, you know, or, or maybe not all of my kids will sing on Flipgrid. So obviously all the nitty gritties need to be worked out, but just this idea of, you know, we spend so much time, I'm speaking for myself definitely here with the singing piece. And I've made that choice as an educator that I've let other things go. And I always Mm -hmm. say like, oftentimes we don't do enough composing or improvising in my classroom because I run out of time or whatever. And I really like this idea of, okay, if I'm focusing on the positive and flipping it around, this is the time to really dig in and focus on maybe some of those bigger ideas of music education that I don't get to when I'm so focused on singing and literacy. You know, when I'm focusing so much on these literacy concepts, sometimes I feel like I myself as an educator, I'm losing those big ideas of why music, why is music education, why is music important in our lives, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of going with that thought of what that can do to kind of frame my, my year for next year. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm thinking a lot about um, emphasizing the importance of music in people's day-to-day lives and um, making sure that we share, that I share more of what's happening. I, I'm really trying to think globally. Right. So I, I, I didn't do this um, in my online lessons, but I was thinking gearing up for the next year, I really want to spend some time kind of showcasing, hey, look what's happening with people engaged in music around the world. Like, I'm not talking last year or before all of this COVID business, but like yesterday, you know, the Italians who are getting on their balconies and singing together, or, you know, people in uh, Spain who are serenading each other and, and that kind of thing. So I think that I really want to make sure that I emphasize the importance of it in a daily day, day-to-day life for people who don't have music class, for people who, you know, we're, we're not, um, it's not as if we, ta- we take care of all of our Maslow first and then all the art and music and movement and all of those things happen because any culture in the world, no matter how in need of food, shelter that they have been, still create music. That is a innate need in all of us. And I really want to emphasize that to my students. And sometimes I feel like I've gotten away from that because I'm so married to this idea of music literacy being the drive. So maybe this will be a positive thing in that light. Yeah, I agree. Another big focus that I think this this can bring out an opportunity and is this idea of project-based learning and student inquiry, that if students have the time and the space to be able to dig into projects um, at their own pace and things that they're interested in, how cool is that? You know, if they have the technology at their fingertips and, and what Nissa she emphasized, and I appreciate it because I did do a very small amount of training and it was technically problem-based learning which is similar to project-based learning but it adds this twist of like there is a problem we need to solve which could be interesting in this time but anyways um 
Nissa talked about this too, that it doesn't mean that you just say, hey, you like rap music, go. Like there is a framework, you still provide a framework for them. And I still even think, and I mean, not just think, I'm confident that within a PBL model, there's still tons of opportunities for active music making. It just doesn't have to be learning about music. It can also be demonstrating your knowledge through active, like that's the point. There should be some sort of demonstrative project that the students are able to show. Um, So what a great opportunity as music educators, because I know I've talked about, I've always wanted to incorporate more PBL in my classroom, but time and the energy and you know okay if I'm doing that then what am I taking out well for being forced to take things out like singing games Mm -hmm. and maybe some of those literacy focused things that we cling to so much in our Kodai world um, what a great opportunity to fill in with some of those other things that I've always wanted to do yeah exactly and as she was talking especially about uh, the project-based learning, I was really getting geared up and I was getting excited because I, I had to um, write down like, oh, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. So it really started my wheels turning of all these things that I've thought about wanting to do that I just have never had time to put in there. Um, and so, boy, that was so very helpful for me to hear, you know, all of these other opportunities. And I, as I look at this graph and I'm looking at all of her boxes of what music learning could look like with each box of like, okay, performing at home, other standards, project-based or inquiry-based, collaborate with art, music, and PE. Um, I'm married to the art teacher. We've collaborated (laughs) and uh, we've collaborated in the past, but it's honestly been a long time and like, wow, how exciting could that be, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then the social emotional learning, which we'll, we'll talk more about. Um, but so, yeah, just, and, and maybe I think Nissa's workshop for me, this, or this webinar came exactly at the right time because I was starting to be done with the whole morning of, it's not going to look like it did before. And in order to really heal from that, I need to start generating these ideas and getting excited about teaching music just differently. And I mean, think of how well-rounded we're going to be, right? As we dive into these other things. Totally. Totally. So you just mentioned it, but you know, Nissa mentioned a lot. We all know that this whole piece of social emotional learning right now is going to be huge. I mean, we're going to have lots of issues of, of trauma going on with our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already starting and it's going to, it's going to be even more in the fall. So with that in mind, Go. and I are excited to, to announce this is our third summer of doing this, Tanya. Wow. We're going to be bringing back our summer book club for its third summer. And we have chosen to read the book, Music Education and Social Emotional Learning, The Heart of Teaching Music by Scott and Edgar. Um, and you can get this book at GIA. It's published through GIA. And right now in, in our digging, that was the only place we were able to purchase it now. I mean, I know sometimes it's carried through West Music, but they didn't have any in stock as of today, the day we're recording. So, And Amazon does not either, so don't bother. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know when you're listening to us. Maybe it's in stock. But when you can, I'm sorry, I just got to put in a plug. David Rao keeps reminding me of this every time I hear him. When you can, please buy from these music companies like West Music, like J.W. Pepper, because especially during these times, we want these places, these businesses to stay in business because they promote music education, right? So Amazon's going to be fine. They've got my money in other ways, let, let me tell you. But when it comes to music stuff, and you might as well, Amazon's not, they're not doing their get it in two days thing. So exactly. give it to West. Right. So if you are interested in reading and setting with us, we, um, we normally will, will kind of tell you in each episode which chapters we're focusing on so you can read along with us. Um, but we just really felt that this idea of social emotional learning in the music room, I mean, it, we had talked about focusing on this pre-COVID times, Tanya, and then mm-hmm. now it just seems ever more important. So we're excited to dig into this book, and you'll hope we hope that you'll read it to us and uh, read it with us to us. <laughs> read it to us, please. We will link to um, the book in GIA in our show notes. You can purchase a copy and read along with us. Yes.
So while we are reading this book, there's kind of some other questions that I've kind of listed for myself that I just want to be thinking about while I'm reading this book, while I'm gathering resources over the summer. Um, so I'm just going to kind of list out some of these questions, Tanya, and you can join what? in. Whatever. I could join in. Can I? Yeah. Okay. Talk to. So, okay. I mean, the first one we've already talked about a little bit is what do we do without singing games and folk dancing, whether we're in the classroom or not? Obviously, if we're not in the classroom and we're online, we're not going to be doing as many singing games or folk dancing anyways. But if we are in the classroom, what are we going to do instead? Um, what instrumental experiences can we provide? So mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, thinking practically about instruments that are just easier to clean mm -hmm. or if you're just thinking more bigger, like instead of playing my fourth grade recorder unit like I always do, is there something else I can do there instead? Yep. Um, what literacy concepts can be taught in an online or hybrid model? You know, I, I've, I find myself... I've said it today, kind of knocking literacy a little bit. And I don't want to go too far with that. I mean, music literacy is obviously still important. I'm not going to say it's not. And I think it, it can still be kind of the foundation of a lot of things that we do. But how can that be taught in a different way? Well, and yeah, can, can I just mention, I don't know. Well, I have an idea, Carrie, about what you've been thinking of. But over the past couple of years, um, I've been thinking about what really is music literacy and why are we reg regulating it to just reading standard notation. Um, I know in the fire robin world, they say music literacy, someone who thinks tunes, can create tunes, can read tunes, but that means something different in today's world, right? Mm -hmm. And there are several people out in the world who are musicians who are making a living being musicians who can't read standard notation. And is that really the most important thing when we're talking about music literacy? So, I mean, I'm also thinking about world music pedagogy, um, which we'll mention a little bit, but in the rest of the world, there are drumming groups in Ghana who are not notating what they're drumming. And that's perfectly, that, that, that's exactly what should be happening in that culture. And so I'm kind of starting to be a little more reticent in defaulting to music literacy being reading, writing in standard notation. Yes. Yeah. So rethinking it and especially in a, in a composition or improvisation standpoint, you know, what other modes do we have available to us, especially through technology? Especially through technology. Yeah. And that's what the kids, that's if they've got those tools, like you were saying earlier, if they've got those tools, wow, then they should be feeling like they, they should be calling themselves musicians. If they are mixing things together using GarageBand, using Beatbox or whatever, right? They are musicians. If they are organizing, if you're organizing sounds, you are a composer, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then finally, kind of for as far as my big questions go, like what what are some of those units or PBL models or inquiry that I can encourage my students still within kind of this idea of Kodai inspired teaching, which is really, I mean, for me, if I, if I sum that up, it's really just accessible music for everyone, right? That to me is Kodai inspired teaching. Yes. Allowing all students to be musicians and um, kind of reaching them where they're at in that way, right? So, you know, if their mother tongue right now is technology, mm -hmm. then how using technology to further their music education, you know? So those are kind of my big questions that are framing my thinking. So again, thinking about the silver lining, one of the things that I feel like is a positive that's come out of this is all of the opportunities for online professional development. Oh, yes. Incredible. And so many things are being offered for free or for very inexpensive. So if you have some time and you want to put some time towards thinking about a lot of these things and just getting some training this summer, it's an excellent opportunity to do so. Um, first, I want to mention uh, Nissa Brown's training that she is, or um, it's like a week-long webinar course. I, I guess you can call it a course. Um, yeah. through, through Music Education Forward, it is called Advocating for Sound Learning, uh, for sound, sound music learning, excuse me, in fall 2020 and beyond. And that is being offered June 1st through 5th. It is $27 and she purposefully is keeping it very affordable for teachers, which is- You cannot beat that. I mean, seriously. 
And really a big purpose of this is because Nissa herself has taught in a lot of international school environments. And so she has a lot of connections with teachers who are teaching at international schools who are already back in the classroom in some form with children. And so what a great opportunity to be able to collaborate and learn from people who are already doing it, right? So that's a big part of why she's doing this is to allow us to connect with educators who are already doing it. So we're not reinventing the wheel and we're able to glean their knowledge. So we'll definitely link to that. I just registered for it today. So I'm really excited. And we'll link to that in our show notes. Yes. And so we wanted to give a shout out to some other online courses. Uh, These are not, this is not a comprehensive list. This is not all the things. We just wanted to mention the following ones because these have Uh, are are from universities or institutions or instructors that we have some familiarity with. And we could say pretty much without a doubt that these are going to be quality, awesome things. Okay. So the Kodai Levels Program of Seattle is offering several online opportunities. um, And you should check that out. All of these links are going to be in our show notes on our website. So go there and, and go look at all of the offerings. The SMU Meadows School of the Arts has several uh, workshops. Uh, I'm going to list a couple titles. Becoming a Kodai-inspired musicianship teacher, an introduction to Kodai, uh, putting ORF pedagogy into practice, um, introduction to ORF, and I think that's a two-parter. World music pedagogy, and this is one I'm really excited about because I'm going to be um, taking this. They are offering world music pedagogy, teaching music, teaching culture, webinar, and that's two days, 14 hours. The Kodai Music Institute has lots and lots of um, courses that are going to be happening. The Wichita State University Kodai program has a list of things. And and there's even more, Carrie. Yes. There are so many. Um, you know, and it, it's it's worth mentioning that, you know, pretty much all of these programs that are online, it's not necessarily going towards any sort of Kodai certification but it allows you to get some of that training and continue some of that training if you're currently a Kodai student and you don't want to lose, you know, some of those skills. Or, I mean, what a great opportunity if you've thought about getting Kodai training and you're just not sure if you want to jump into the whole thing to get a little, you know, glimpse, a little picture of it. Um, and some of these, these places are offering classes for credit. Some of it's just for, you know, clock hours. So it's an opportunity to, to do that as well to help bump up on the pay scale, assuming your district is not on a pay freeze. (laughs) And I would hope during, especially this summer, when a lot of districts are going to be cutting funds, that maybe your your plans for um, summer learning are more geared towards, because I really want to learn this, and less towards, I need these credits, right? And, And I'm not saying, of course, if you need the credits, you need the credits, but uh, it's it's worth it to really focus on, hey, what's something that I, as a music educator and a professional, really want to make sure that I know more about? What am I intrigued by? Totally, totally. And then I also want to put a shout out. There's a lot of, um, you know, local um, chapters of both Kodai ORF um, who are doing webinar series. So, for example, here in Colorado, our local Kodai chapter, Rocky, and the Rocky Mountain ORF chapter, they are teaming up to provide a series of free webinars, and Tanya and I are both going to be a part of that. So those webinars are um, going to be on Tuesdays from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock in the morning, Mountain Time, and um, they start mid-June, and then I think they run through July. I think there's like seven or eight of them planned. There's so many of them. It's very exciting to see the list. So Tanya is going to be presenting on June 30th. And, you know, we're still in the process of developing our topics as we see what the world is looking like, but kind of something about singing and playing virtually. Do you want to speak more about that, Tanya? Um, now? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I said, do you want to talk more about that or just leave it at that for now? Um, I, I will just say that I'm, I'm really thinking and crafting ideas of singing and playing virtually uh, with students or in an online environment. And I've I've done a lot of acapella videos, for example, which is a way to get kids um, engaged in participating from their home environment. But there's going to be, yeah, I'm still developing all of this, but I really want to keep the focus on music making online at home. Yeah. And then the following week on July 7th is when I will be presenting. And again, my, my 
my topic is evolving as, as the world evolves, but I really did want to talk about kind of this idea of music literacy and composition and how you can engage students in these types of activities from home in an online environment. So if you have a local, you know, Kodai or ORF chapter, you know, look and see if they're offering anything this summer or just you know, keep your eye out. There's a lot of great, you know, Facebook groups like the Kodai Educators Facebook group where people are posting these things all the time. So it's constantly evolving. Yes. And just finally, again, another shout out for our own professional development that you can get through Music Teacher Coffee Talk, which will be our book study. And again, we're going to be reading Music Education and Social Emotional Learning, The Heart of Teaching Music by Scott and Edgar. So definitely get your copy of that book and read along with us this summer. Yeah, and I want to mention that if you look at that on GIA, there is also a student workbook. So make sure you're buying the correct thing. We're not going to be looking at the student workbook. Not right now. That might be no. a supplemental material you can look at on your own. So now it's time for our work smarter, not harder teacher tip. And Tanya's going to share it today. Yeah, you said it right. I, <laughs> I had concerned. to really think about it. Really, really think about it. <laughs> okay. Um, so today, as we are recording, it is Saturday. Yesterday, Friday, I was at both of my schools closing out down the rooms, like taking everything off the walls and everything, you know, that belonged to me home and all of that stuff. So here is my work smarter, not harder teacher tip. Um, as I look at all of my boxes here and surrounding me in the office, and I've got the rolly uh, boxes, you know, that have the handles, which has been very, very handy. I recommend those for sure. Uh, I'll put a link in there to them because um, I took home lots of things because at my mountain school, everything that was mine and lots of things there were mine had to come home or had to go to my homeschool. All right. So my big tip is give yourself a day between the hard work of taking all the things home and having to close down the classroom or, you know, I think last night, I had a uh, half a thought of, okay, and tomorrow is when I'm going to take everything out and I'm going to organize it and I'm going to make sure that things are on shelves and the things that I don't need, I put it in the garage and all that. And then I realized I super duper need a day. So if possible, take like a solid day or maybe a solid weekend before you really dig into putting all the things away. And I say this because I feel emotionally drained. And this year, more than any other year, especially, I feel emotionally drained. And if I really make myself do it right now, it's going to be a mess because I'm going to do a bad job of it. And I think that I just need a day, maybe two days, but I am going, it's on my calendar and I am going to be tackling, organizing all the things that came home from school. Um, you know, so anyway, that's my little tip is just give yourself the time that you need with organizing all the things that you had to bring home. I love it. And now it's time for our CODA section where we share something that we've been enjoying in or out of the music room, probably mostly out. I have listened to a lot of podcasts in the music room as I've been you know, disseminating it, but yeah. So Carrie, what do you have for us? Well, your work smarter, not harder teacher tip segued so well into my coda because um, my coda is something that I've just started using. I feel like I say this every time. And so hopefully it will pan out, but it's, I love, I really like it so far. So one of my summer projects, besides all the things that we've been talking about, um, since so many of my classroom materials are home right now and they're not normally at home, I thought what a great opportunity to catalog, catalog all of my books, my picture books, as well as my song books, my teaching books, everything. So I have found an app, and I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's called Libib, L-I-B-I-B. -I -B. And it's, a, it's free. I think from what I've discovered so far, you can have up to 5,000 entries. So I feel like 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to be okay. We'll see how it goes though and how crazy I go. But you can create different libraries within the app. So like I have a library for picture books. I have a library for like methodology books. You can also categorize and um, catalog your music. So if you actually have CDs still like I do, you can do music that way. I was even thinking, even though it's not a book per se, you could catalog, catalog like your puppets or your manipulatives Ooh. because it allows you to take pictures. And what I really love about it is that you add tags. Oh, and I should also mention that it's very quick because you scan barcodes. So if a book, you know, which most of my picture books do, because they were probably purchased, you know, fairly recently, like within the last 20 years. I don't know when they started putting barcodes on books, but if you scan the barcode, it automatically uploads the book with the cover artist, with the cover art and all the information in the book. But then you can add tags. So like any books that I like to use for music programs, I've added a tag for programs. Um, books about squirrels. I'm going to write squirrels. So if I'm ever and you could tag your puppets to those books too. So if I go into this app and I type in squirrels, any book or CD or puppet or whatever, I'm even thinking like manipulatives. Like I can even categorize, I'm going a little crazy with it, but I can like categorize. <laughs> like my foam shapes and my mini erasers and all of those things. So it's like all in one spot. So when I'm planning, I can, you know, thematically or yeah, I'm, I'm, I just started dabbling in it, but I'm pretty excited. So again, it's called Libib, L-I-B-I-B and it's free as far as I know, up to 5,000 entries. So we'll see how crazy I go. I'm going to start with the books first and see how, how far I go. You could really get in deep with that, man. Oh, I, I mean, know. And me being, I love to categorize and catalog and organize. Like, this is why I was late this morning, Tanya, to our podcasting time that we said we were going to meet because I was scanning books and I was having so much fun and I was adding tags and I was like, oh my gosh, look what time it is. I have to meet Tanya. <laughs> so this is how I'm going to geek out all summer is by cataloging books. Nice. Very fun. Or like uh, account for at home for like our record collection because we have a pretty big album collection, my husband and I. So like our record collection and our CDs at home and you can do movies, you can do video games, any sort of media. So that's me getting excited about cataloging. How about you, Tanya? What do you recommend? All right. Well, I've been watching more TV than normal. Um, I'm always searching for, yeah, I'm always searching for family shows that all of us can watch. And my kids being a little bit older now, it's kind of nice because, um, yeah, there's so many things that are inappropriate for most kids most of the time. But there's, you know, I, I've gotten over language. That's one thing that if my kids hear the language, you know, I've got a now almost middle schooler and a high schooler. And if language happens in a show, that's not a, a killer for, for me. Um, so we watched this series called Never Have I Ever. And there are some sexual situations for sure. It's not graphic by any means. It's mostly talk about sex. Now, I know that you and I both have kids who are about to be in sixth grade and in fifth grade, they were supposed to get growing and changing unit, right? Yep. And we were, as parents, tasked with, <laughs> initially they sent, the, the district sent an email saying, hey, parents of fifth graders, growing and changing is supposed to happen right now, but they're not going to do it online. So here's the curriculum. Have fun with that. <laughs> and I, yeah. Yeah, we're, that's, that's on our summer to-do list. Yes, we have not done that either. And then a couple of weeks later, we got an email saying, oh, hey, um, parents of fifth graders, we've decided that we will include growing and changing in the sixth grade year. Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, okay. it's important that we talk about it at home, but of course, that's, that was going to happen either way. Yes, so Exactly. So on the one hand, I was like, oh, yay, they're going to do it. And then I went, well, no, I got to do more, right? And I might not follow their curriculum to a T because I want it to be a lot more um, organic as far as like my daughter's natural curiosity, right? I don't want to sit her down and go, let's look at the workbook necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. So this show, Never Have I Ever, 
the main premise, and this was written by partially, I'm not sure if she had other people, but Mindy Kaling, who was from The Office and also had her own series going on. So the main character is an Indian teenager um, who has grown up in, in, in the United States. And um, a couple of the main themes in it is that her father has recently, a few months ago, passed away from an unexpected heart attack. Um, but she's really all... Um, she's in high school. I think she's a freshman, but she's really obsessed with this idea of I've lose my virginity. Right. I know that sounds really heavy duty, but there's not, there's, there's no graphic sex going on. There's a lot of talk about sexuality. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that I really appreciate about this show is that there's a lot of diverse characters in a very natural setting, right. In their high school. Um, and then there's also a lot of tied up with the grieving process that this girl is going through and how she's really diverting her grieving towards other subjects. Yeah. Like the, like the Jordan Catalano character that she's obsessed with, who is not Jordan Catalano, but if you get me, you get me. Right. Yes. Right. Hopefully somebody out there, everyone knows what we're talking about. Maybe. Okay. So anyway, so watching the show, yes, there were moments where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think that my daughter should be hearing this, that, and the other, but it kind of opened up this opportunity for us, me and my daughter to like talk about, okay, well, when we were, t- they were talking about this, do you understand what we, what they were concerned about? And, and so it was, a, it's a really funny show. John McEnroe, the famous tennis player, um, narrates it, which I know is out there, but you just got to watch it and trust me. Um, and it just really provided a good jumping off, off point for my family to talk about these things. There's only one season out and it's really funny, um, deals with a lot of issues, but I, we really all, honestly, even my teenage son who doesn't like much of anything, we all really enjoyed watching this show. So never have I ever, it's on, oh my gosh, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Ta-da. Yeah. Nice. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Our show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. In our next episode, we'll be doing a Q&A session where we will answer listener questions about anything and everything. In the next couple of weeks, you can look for opportunities to submit questions to us on Instagram or Facebook, or you can always email us your questions at musicteachercoffeetalk at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.